2: action fanatics welcome to another edition of the bulletproof podcast i am chris the brain joining me as always mr chad cruz well wait a minute though chad were you on the last episode of the bulletproof podcast
1: you may not remember me. I did speak a few words, but I was there. Um I think I what would we talk about again?
2: It was a, it was our Andy Sedaris episode our yep. spring break and it really was.
1: I was there. Spring
2: break for for you and I. Uh, we had an easy night there. Uh, I did
1: learn you, a few things though. So that's we good. We did
2: learn we did learn a lot. Uh a lot of numbers were thrown our way. Um, measurements. Uh, and, and, and things of that, and, and years in which women appeared in uh, magazines. So right. a lot of information. Hard, data. Checked, the hard data. The hard data. <laughs> very good. Very good, Ryan Campbell. Ryan Campbell's joining us as well. I, I didn't get to him. I was too busy. Uh, looking back on our episode 10, the Andy Sedaris spring break, um, this is a very special lockdown edition of uh, the Bulletproof podcast. just most people are probably in their homes, or at least they should be.
0: Yes, That's exactly.
2: Typically, we're
0: are. typically we're recording this in the very prestigious, beautiful bulletproof action studios, but we decided yes. to all be at home for this one.
2: Yeah, we, we. The studios have been shut down. It's a non-essential business. We have to all work from home now. Um, and while you're at home good time to check out bulletproofaction.com this may be you know they may be stumbling onto this our website our podcast for the very first time since everybody's got a little bit more free time and bulletproof action chad has been around for over five years tons and tons of content
1: yeah over five years uh just a ridiculous amount of content everything from uh articles on people's hairstyles which I like to think is probably one of the top 10 articles ever written, ever. (laughs) Uh, Any any media. (laughs) Any media, not just on our site. Movie reviews, interviews, just a lot of cool shit on there. And I mean, I don't want to – I haven't heard any doctors or scientists actually say this, but has anyone ever thought about the idea of if you read BulletproofAction.com while listening to the Bulletproof podcast – have we talked about that as being a potential cure for the coronavirus?
0: I mean, it sounds as factual as anything else that's coming out of most of the people's mouths that are in charge.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying it's worth a try. If everyone <laughs> goes there at the same time. It can't hurt, right? Uh, they, let's do it.
2: Right. It, it hasn't been thing. proven not to work. So, yeah. like, yeah, Give that's it a true. try. Give it a try. Um, so, yeah. Bulletproofaction.com. Check us out. You can also follow us on social media. We are at BulletproofPod on Twitter and at BulletproofAction on Facebook and Instagram. And aside from it being, you know, coronavirus season, it is also WrestleMania season, whether it feels like it or not. Maybe. We are going to go back. That's, yeah, who knows? We are going to go back in time, though, to simpler times in the, the world of professional wrestling. 1989 and one of the most infamous wrestling movies of them all. No Holds Barred, starring Hulk Hogan.
1: A simpler time, a magical time. A time when you could just put big, beefy, roided-out freaks into a cage. Let them wander around the ring for several minutes. Maybe land a punch or two. And just the crowd erupts.
0: A time when people believed. They weren't yep. looking to see how the, you know how the secret sauce was made. They just, they bought in, they believed
1: the smarks, the trolls, all these people, they're, they're doing their heart. They're doing their damnedest to ruin the, the sport of professional wrestling for us. But you know, every time I pop in that no holds barred Blu-ray just reminds me how good it once was.
2: certainly was. And again, Hulk Hogan, what a smart choice to, to be in an action movie. We talked about it in our football podcast, the, the gridiron gladiators. Hollywood's obsession with finding that next Arnold Schwarzenegger, that next larger than life human being, and who was larger than life than the Hulkster, especially in 1989.
0: Yeah, I mean that was I I would say the peak of his powers. I mean, this is right at the you know kind of before other guys like uh Savage, Ultimate Warrior and some other ones started getting big pushes as well and Hogan kind of you know started somewhat going down and then eventually as we're going to talk about later jumping ship. But I mean, this is the absolute peak of his, you know, the, the highest point of his powers right here in 89.
1: Yeah. Action movies. I mean, if you're looking for a prototypical hero, if you're looking for the next Arnold or the next Stallone, you know, you, you want that, uh, that presence, that, that physical presence. So you think about like the, the body of, of a bodybuilder, right. And then you want the athleticism of a football player or an athlete, but what, Better place to find both of those attributes than to look into the world of professional wrestling. They got it all.
2: Yeah, they do. And and Hulkster also came with a, a built-in audience. I mean, millions of people around the globe were watching Hulk Hogan in the ring. So why would not be uh, logical that these people would, would go see him in a movie? It, ma- it makes, you know, 100% sense. Perfect. Yep. And Ryan, you had mentioned Macho Man, and actually the reason Macho Man got the push he did receive in 1988 was because Hulk took some time away from the ring to make this movie No Holds Barred, and uh, to just take everybody back in time, because I know nowadays you know, there's a pay-per-view every other week, but back at this point, uh, No Holds Barred, it came out at a great time, that post-WrestleMania lull, and they shove in No Holds Barred, and it was a you know, destination type event for wrestling fans.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you kind of see it with some of the other promotions right now that are going down to maybe four or five handful of events every year. But yeah, I mean, when they, you could truly build stuff up and there was kind of a time when everything kind of slowed down, then never, never had an off season, but there was definitely a time when it would kind of slow down quite a bit. So um, yeah, much different than how it is now.
1: We could make the argument like, you know, the college football argument where, uh, fewer games makes them matter more um, than the NFL. They just want to add more games to get more revenue. Uh, but but from week to week, it, it doesn't matter if you win or lose for the most part. Um, but in wrestling, and it, it, I, think it was, it, I think there's a, a, a case to make that when you have four pay-per-views or maybe when you have six pay-per-views, they mean more. Ratings would probably be higher and it would make the weekly shows a, a better watch you don't have to book 6,000 shows a year.
2: I would agree with you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, all those things, again, Those they felt like big events, but you had, you know, and it started in 88 where you had at least SummerSlam because prior to that, it was WrestleMania and Survivor Series. So you had a huge gap of no major events going on. But No Holds Barred filled kind of that gap in between WrestleMania and SummerSlam. And of course, No Holds Barred also led directly into SummerSlam because we saw the stars of No Holds Barred square off in an arena full of actual wrestling fans live on pay-per-view, which is unprecedented, has never been done before and hasn't been done since.
1: Yeah, what a fantastic idea. And there's probably not many actors uh, that could probably do that. I mean, was it uh, Stephen Amell did did the show? He was on Arrow and and Cody Rhodes was on Arrow with him. And then they kind of parlayed that into some uh, appearances on TV. And then I think he did a couple pay-per-view uh, quote unquote matches. And, uh, and it was pretty cool. And you could see that he had, you know, abilities. He was athletic and stuff like that, but he had nowhere near the size that, that you would, that you normally see in the ring.
2: Right. Definitely. Uh, probably the closest thing that has happened in, in a definite love of the sport for Amel, where maybe Zeus was more about the love of the paycheck, but, uh, it was, it was a wise investment. I mean, it, it paid off. Uh, one of the biggest pay-per-views they ever did uh, was was SummerSlam 89. All right, but let's get into the heart of what we're here to talk about. It is 1989's No Holds Barred. And again, we talked about how it, it kind of filled that gap of, of being a major wrestling event. And it, it starts off like a major wrestling event. You've got uh, Howard Finkel making the introductions. You've got Mean Gene on the mic. You've got Jesse the Body Ventura I mean, who at this point was a movie star in his own right.
1: Yeah, Jesse the Body. I mean, he he had he had somewhat of an action pedigree at this point because he had done Predator with Arnold and Carl Weathers and those guys, and he had done the Running Man with Arnold and uh had met other other guys, you know, Jim Brown, those dudes are all in that. And um he 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 there's probably an argument to be made that he could have easily been the star of a film like this because he had the wrestling background, of course and the acting pedigree um, from, from a couple of his earlier films, at least had a little bit of name recognition, probably not as much as Hulk at this point, but uh, he at least had something going there uh, under his IMDb page.
0: Well, it, it also helps in, in, in a very wrestling fashion for him to be, a you know, multiple times there on screen next to Arnold, and now he's literally on commentary putting over Hulk in people's minds that maybe know that Hulk Hogan was a wrestler, but weren't sure, you know, how he'd be on the screen. Jesse's literally on the mic, you know, in a way, kind of giving him credibility and in people's minds, they make the connection. Oh, you know, he's also a action star too. So um, the movie world and the, the wrestling world kind of blending together, both, you know, in, in, in the forefront and in the background.
2: Yeah. Jesse, given, given the whole movie kind of a rub. To to yeah. borrow a wrestling term there,
1: so let me ask you a question real quick. Who'd win in a match, in a duel to the death between Rip and Thunderlips?
2: Oh, I yeah you know, I think Thunderlips is more uh, vicious. Yeah, I I think he would. I think Rip would would draw a line somewhere where Thunderlips there was no line.
1: What if Thunderlips uh, physically? accosted his brother i was gonna say i was gonna say now you're saying that
0: thunderlips essentially is more devious and tough than zeus
1: well maybe maybe his little brother sitting at ringside in that wheelchair maybe thunderlips walks over there and you know gives him a stiff punch to the face or something like that and then rip sees it i mean that switch turns on as we see in noel's bard you think Rip's take can rip take down Thunderlips it's
2: well now yeah now you've given rip some, some motivation right there yeah. who who we do see rip take on in this opening match up is Jake Bullet who uh, for wrestling fans would maybe recognize him more as demolition axe uh, bill Eadie, also the mass superstar the super machine i believe he was a mongol back in the the 70s so uh, a veteran wrestler really the only other kind of i guess to use a term of today main roster guy that was in the film so it's jake bullet versus rip we also meet the brother that you love chad cruz randy His right, your brother of
1: course.
2: you don't you don't like him
1: uh, do i like randy or my my brother
2: well i guess we're talking about randy but you, oh, if you okay. have some issues to air with your brother i mean
1: no i'll talk to my therapist you got time I've
2: <laughs> all the time in the world
1: this is ther- this is talk for my therapist uh yeah, Randy, Randy's not my favorite character, I'm not going to lie. Uh he's pretty much gets bitched out for most of the film. Uh he's not smart. He shows up when he shouldn't show up and he he's like a latcher on, you know what I mean? Like it's a good thing that Rip is popular and doing really well because Randy is a worthless piece of shit.
2: Wow. <laughs> that escalated quickly.
1: But I will give Randy this one thing: if not for his uselessness, Rip may have lost to Zeus and in that battle of tough guys, you know that finale. So yeah, he may have never taken the match at all. That's very possible. He might have just pussied out in front of that helicopter, in front of all those kids.
2: Well, Randy, I, I I would like to point out this little trivia point: was in Death Wish for the Crackdown, starring Charles Bronson, and I'd like to mention Charles Bronson. As often as humanly possible. We also meet uh, Charlie, who is uh, the trainer for Rip, and Charlie, who was played by Bill Henderson, also a Charles Bronson co-star in Murphy's Law, and I know you know him as well, Ryan.
0: Yeah, he uh, one of one of my favorites, uh, Buckaroo Banzai. He is the guy that owns not only a sofa a sofa uh, store, but a sofa store in which he delivers the sofas via helicopter which that said helicopter comes in handy when uh, Buckaroo needs it later in the film. But it's not like a cargo helicopter. It's like a news helicopter, so I'm not even sure how that would deliver a couch, but you know that, that's kind of how that movie is, and that's what I love about it.
2: All right, and you know maybe we'll talk about Buckaroo more uh, down the road here. So Rip beats Jake Bullitt, no surprise. Um, the bold casting choice to make Hulk Hogan, the WWF champion, Rip, in No Holds Barred, who else could have? Who else could have been the WWF
1: champion? It's a pretty simple, yeah. Pretty simple decision making there. I mean, it's we don't see him run through jobbers, and maybe, maybe a, a an opening credit scene of him just just beating the crap out of guys would have been the way I would have done it. Because the match with Jake Bullet at the beginning isn't that amazing, but maybe if we watched a three minute montage of him beating the crap out of Jake Bullet and arnie franks and and freaking uh you know john Castlestein maybe i'm all for rip being this badass you know
0: yeah i mean they certainly had no shortage of guys that they could have easily filmed a couple spots uh right during house shows which leads me to my question brain because this is something that you are an expert in being able to recognize these things from so many house shows you've watched was this filmed um this opening scene at a house show, or do you happen to recognize like the arena they're in or anything like that?
2: Did not recognize the arena. And, and from all my research, best I could tell is this was just something they did for the movie. It, you it was not part of a, another event. Um, I think that kind of, you can, when you kind of rewatch it as I did for this podcast, you kind of see pockets of empty seats. So they were obviously moving people around for different shots. So that would make sense, I guess, um, why it wasn't part of an event, but that's what the other thing though, is if it was part of an event, you probably wouldn't have had to worry about empty seats, especially back in 1989. But
0: yeah, I mean, I'd mean, i be curious in what the thought process was, why they wouldn't just take the little amount of time it would take at a house show to go ahead and film that unless they were trying to keep kayfabe or something at the time. <laughs> I don't uh, know.
2: That's the only thing I could think of is is the way they had to get all the shots. They feared it would expose the business. And back then it was, Still a concern. Uh, I think that fighting with your family movie that they did recently didn't. I think they just filmed that stuff at Raw. So right, right. that was a huge expose, but it you know it's a, it's a different world now than it was uh, back in 1989. Sadly, uh, yes, yeah, sadly. Somebody who was watching this match, Rip versus Jake Bullet, with great interest, was Mister Brell, who was played by Kurt Fuller, and. I think it's easy to say Kurt Fuller has the best acting performance in no holds barred.
0: Oh, he's certainly given it his all. I mean, he, he kind of had a niche in the eighties of playing a similar type of character and always kind of going over the top with it. Uh, but I can't recall any of his roles ever being so over the top as his please play this one.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Cause Kurt Fuller as, as kind of the, the brains of the operation, if you will, um, uh, As a villain, he, he really kind of steals the show because most of the story comes from his actions, right? Rip is reacting to how Kurt Fuller, Kurt Fuller, like, you know, he gives him a, he tries to give him a contract and he won't take it. So he tries to hurt him and it doesn't work. So he tries to mess with his, or he, he approaches it from a different avenue with the lady right, with Joan Severance's character, and then that's not working, so he sends more people after him, and then he gets Zeus, and so basically Kurt Fuller is driving this story forward, both with his performance and with his actions, and then Rip is just basically beating the shit out of people the whole time, so.
2: Yeah, you mentioned the the contract, He you know, he he says no, he doesn't take the blank check, he he then uh, is driven off to a parking garage where he is, and I'm talking about Rip pronouns, pal, Uh, Hmm. Rip is... taken to the parking garage and it was there where he was going to presumably uh, be beaten to a pulp. Uh, but instead he jumps out, off, uh, he just pops out of the roof of the, of the limo and he's kicking it on the way there. It's just, it's an amazing scene, Ryan Campbell. I know you're a big fan of it.
0: Yeah. It's not just the kicking in the limo it, for Maybe it's, maybe it's an issue with the limo. It had a weak roof and a weak structure, but when he's in the back of the limo, And he's just kicking like the console that holds the drinks and the door. And the driver is swinging wildly from the left and right. And he's like driving through windows. And it's just causing this. I I was just cracking up because the idea of just kicking in one location, causing the driver, you know, 20 feet up in a limo to just go wild and all over the place was, was great.
1: Maybe the driver had vertigo. Maybe he has vertigo.
0: Possibly. But like I said, yeah, it could just be the weak structure of the uh, of the limo because later, like you said, he jumps through the roof, so it couldn't have been that, that rigid of a structure.
2: And, and then we get the ultimate line, uh, the line that had to be written by Vince McMahon himself uh, when Rip asks, what's that smell? And the man replies, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> dookie.
0: Vince loves his dookie.
1: Yeah, that's either written by uh the the guys from Green Day or by Vince McMahon. Um yeah, but yeah McMahon is obsessed with uh you know, butt cheeks and and baby poop and you know, all these things.
2: Uh, yeah, potty humor is his thing for that's
1: sure. Thing. If you if you
0: listen real quietly, you can almost hear him just cackling uh when when they when when he first saw that line the first time. Could you
2: yeah, could you imagine him at the premiere? <laughs>
1: So I'm thinking there's gotta be there's gotta be a deleted scene out there somewhere where the driver of this vehicle is trying to uh like it it's you know, it's six hours later and he's at the end of a shift and he's trying to prepare this limousine for uh homecoming night the next night. And he's like duct taping the ceiling and he's cleaning the 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 diarrhea out of the front seat. <laughs> like I want that deleted scene. Hey man, man's gotta work. Right do do you think that potentially i know our current situation with with this covid-19 shit going around his symptoms he's he can't control his bowels he is dizzy he's sweating profusely i don't know if he's got coronavirus but there's something going on there
0: it's possible could be worse we've been blaming bat soup this entire time and when <laughs> reality it was a limo driver in
1: 1989 god i knew it i called it <laughs>
0: You also
2: mentioned Joan Severance. Uh, you're a big fan of Joan Severance, I know, Jack Cruz.
1: I am. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it the other day, and the first time I, I remember seeing her was in uh, "See No Evil, Hear No Evil" with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I think there might be a boob shot in that too. Um, but That's RTG what they would. Call RTG. Yeah, yeah he, he's got the time written. Our, on.
0: our own resident Mister Skin.
1: <laughs> but. I was thinking about it the other day, and I've always loved the movie Bird on a Wire. And she is like the hot veterinarian in that movie. And, you know.
2: Did it it make you wish you were a dog?
1: Yeah, a horse. uh, (laughs) (laughs) A 14-year-old Chad Cruz remembers her most from the Black Scorpion movies. But it's, I mean, she is just amazingly hot.
2: And Black Scorpion has been reviewed on It has. Yes, sure.
1: yes. Let me ask you this, Chad
0: Cruz. In any of those films, did she play a better double agent than she played in this one?
1: Uh, she don't she didn't play a double agent, but it was still better than what she did here.
0: <laughs> Cause yeah, that may be that may be possibly the the worst double agent in, in <laughs> film history. I believe there's only one scene that it's established that she ever was a double agent. Yeah. And that is
1: the same scene where they pretty much say, "Like you're an awful double agent. You failed miserably." Now, did she work for some agency? Right? What was the agency? Does anybody I remember?
2: Know. I don't remember. I don't recall. she didn't
1: like work directly for Kurt Fuller for Brell. No. She's like a third party person that they put tons of trust into. I just don't. I don't get it. Did, did her resume include being terrible at seducing people? Because not only does she not seduce him, but she's like, does the opposite to where like, what's the opposite of seducing someone? It's that's what she did. To be fair though, eventually in the
0: end, it all did work out that she did seduce him. So maybe that was just part of her method. Well, uh, I
1: think Rip's good hearted nature led him to like, he, he wanted the more innocent. uh, He, I think if she had walked over there and, and, you know, Hold her tits out, he probably would have been turned off by it. (laughs) You, you, not so much. That would have made for a better scene, I guess. But Uh, I would, yeah, I would have memorized that time. Ben's probably like that too. But (laughs) wow.
2: (laughs) And yeah, I think you may have just stumbled upon a a new feature on uh, bulletproofaction.com where we post people's resumes and, uh,
1: (laughs) <laughs> I like Earth,
2: it. It's might be the first one where <laughs> t- terrible at seducing people the <laughs> prominently featured on said resume.
1: Well, I remember didn't brain didn't you do didn't you do a post several years ago around Valentine's Day about a, like yeah, a, I a set tender, up dating profiles. Dating yeah. profile, that's what it was. Yeah. That was a that's a classic.
2: Um and speaking of classic, let's talk about the, the classic life not imitating art moment in this whole movie because uh, Rip refused Mr. Brill's big money offer to jump ship. Five years later, Hulk Hogan did not refuse Ted Turner's big money offer to jump ship to WCW.
0: Yeah. Quite ironic. And, and which is sad because now I'm just imagining one of the best lines in the movie, uh, him making Ted Turner eat a check while he says, I won't be around when this check clears. And oh, that was a great line. But I, like you said, it was not said to Ted Turner as he did
1: sign the check or take the check.
2: It, it, happily and for many years to come.
1: Yeah, he he uh you know, early 90s he was all about that that money. But I get there's one thing that life did imitate this film and that was uh Hulk Hogan burying the shit out of anyone he fought <laughs> cuz <'Cause laughs> at the end of this movie, I mean Zeus is dead and buried. He's done. <laughs> That's pure Hogan right there.
2: That you got that right. <laughs> So Mr. Brell does not get what he wants. So he goes in a completely different direction. And I don't know how he gets catches wind of this, but they go to this dive bar uh, that is owned and operated by Stan the Laird Hanson. And it's called battle of the tough guys, or I don't even know if it really is called that at that point. It's just, you know, they have tough guy fights in the middle of the bar in this octagon shaped ring. Uh, It's not a location you probably want to visit.
0: No, and again, this possibly events uh years before inadvertently creating the u f c possibly he's got an octagon he's got tough guys bare knuckle fighting uh
1: i mean there's a lot of similarities there, yeah, I think at a minimum, it's like the uh what was the tough man comp- not the tough man competition what was it like the they had these just big fat guys chug a beer and they go out and beat the crap out of each other. If anything, he deserves partial credit for that. If that was his intention, though, I'm sure he would have taken credit. So, Yes, he would have certainly sued the hell out of them.
0: Uh,
2: I was going to say Jerry McDevitt, uh, super lawyer, would have been on top of that uh, situation.
1: Now, I could see the, that type of bar. I could see that doing really well Like now. like I know I, I drive down the road and all the bars are shut down. All the restaurants are closed people need an outlet. Would I walk into a place that smells like piss has ropes around it with dudes who are 320 pounds and sweaty and hairy beating the crap out of each other and have a good time. I think I absolutely would. So a stand, come on over, bring that stuff to where I'm at. Cause I'm all in on it.
2: Yeah. Let's talk about the uh, men's room situation at this facility. Uh, this is the type of men's room that I think I would either piss my pants or just get a bladder infection because I don't think I could use it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Any of the other options would have been ideal go or go outside next to the building or something, figure something out. But yeah, not ideal. And, uh, and then you got Stan himself behind you, just, you know, more dookie nonsense in the film. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, he, he was, he was having a blowout. He was having a blowout install free, uh, while, uh, Braille's underlings were, uh, and that's the other thing. Why were those guys? Why were that's like not proper bathroom protocol either? That they were standing right next to each other.
0: No, not in a trough in an empty bath in a d- empty uh, restroom. Certainly not.
1: I'm a big fan of the trough because it it you know most bars you go to there's piss all over the floor. Um, there's only like two two stalls or one stall and there's like two urinals um there's just not a lot of space to really uh spread your spread your feet out and get that good three-point stance so i'm a big (laughs) fan of them
0: i now also will not be going to any bathrooms with chad cruz no matter where we're at
2: only on the bulletproof podcast could someone come out as pro urinal trough um and you know that's it's, it's special it's a real special podcast and Never know what's going to come out of Chad Cruz's mouth. Uh, But if you go stand next to him at the trough, you'll know what comes out of something else. Now, <laughs> this is also where we are introduced to our in-ring villain, because obviously Mr. Brell is the, the brains behind the brawn here, but we in- are introduced to Zeus, and he comes in in quite a dramatic fashion.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that they did well in the film, um not only the casting of Stan Hansen, which I think was perfect, Uh, with any wrestling fan that knew kind of his credibility, but they did kind of build him up because you see him easily taking guys out and winning, you know, the money that Braille put up when, before he had the idea Um, for later when Zeus does show up to, to easily take him out really kind of, okay, this guy's even more serious. So that was a nice little piece of work there.
2: And just tiny Lister. I mean, for, if you were a wrestling fan in 1989, Tiny Lister is forever known as Zeus to you. Uh and I know later he would be known for his roles in Friday. Uh what was he Debo in there and then is he the president in uh, fifth element?
0: He's the president, yeah. And and <laughs> in a role in which really anybody could have played the president. There's nothing about his stature or his uh muscles that are used in that movie. He literally just straight mans the president in that movie. That's why that's why it's tremendous.
1: It's funny because I think that you know, like you said, like Zeus is his probably most recognizable role, especially for wrestling fans, but but for a lot of action fans in general. Um, and it's probably because all these other films that he's done, he's always has a side. You know, he's a bit player, like he's he's a side character. And Friday, he comes in. He has some great lines. He has you know the 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 scene where they like uh was it someone's finger gives in someone's ass or something the the straw or something and he like smells poop whatever i don't know but uh no one else remembers that probably but (laughs) but um all of his other movies Vincent man loved that scene he would probably (laughs) hire him again for that but but zeus like when he comes out like he's got the perfect look he's a monster monster of a man he's got like his old prison uniform on but the sleeves are ripped off because so he looks even more badass And I I can imagine him walking into the scene and they did the take like 10 times and each time they're like, no, 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 no. Walk a little slower. Look a little dumber. (laughs) Like in the final scene, he's like the the look on his face and the noises he makes are, they're absolute gold.
2: And I love what he does to the, uh, the network lady who comes up to him as he enters, (laughs) he just grabs her and Just drops her into like a barrel down below. It's just—I mean, again, it's the perfect introduction to this this ultimate badass.
1: Yeah, and he was—that was before he was actually an employee of the of the station. So there, there won't be any like you know HR complaint or the HR complaints for that. So that's good.
2: So Zeus is there, um, and they start building him up, building him up, and that's where one of his early fights your favorite character, Randy, and his buddy go there wearing rip shirts. shirts.
0: Smart, smart
1: move.
2: Like, like raising their hand and saying, can you please accost me?
1: <laughs> That's a total Joan Severance uh, double agent move right there. You wear the shirt of the person you're not supposed to. Um, yeah, they, they show up to one of his fights against, I don't know, uh,
2: I think that was was that Lug Ranch
1: was? or Klondike or Monkey Ranch or whatever their guy's names was. But basically Zeus beats the crap out of people in their own environment with whatever tool they were carrying for their for their shoot job. And, uh, yeah, they show up and they watch him and they're, they're kind of in awe of how awesome he is. And then Zeus, you know, because he's a psychopath, decides to turn on the audience (laughs) and then they somehow get left behind and uh, get the other crack kicked out of them. It's great. What a heel move.
2: And then the big charity event. Now Zeus has established himself on national television. Now it's time to make the challenge. And I know, again, this is another of Ryan's favorite scenes where Zeus makes yet another dramatic entrance. The Zeus music is going. A helicopter comes in.
0: That's right. We go. Yep. They, the helicopter comes in and the legions of kids that are there worshiping the ground that Rip walks on have apparently never seen or are completely unaware of the existence of what a helicopter is. Uh, the helicopter lands. And, you know, we've all seen movies where like the wind picks up and everybody kind of puts their hand up and it's kind of like, these kids are losing their minds. They're running around. They're, I think you even hear one kid ask Rip, Rip, what's that? Like they're just completely <laughs> oblivious to what a helicopter is. They're scared for their lives. Uh, it's just—it's it's a good moment and some excellent um, ADR work. The, the ADR in this movie and the foley work and the sound department—it's um, just classic, good stuff.
2: And wrestling fans, be on the lookout for a young Marcus Alexander Bagwell in the crowd, who was obviously there for an open call in, in the Atlanta area where they shot the film. That's right.
0: Was his mother there on a forklift?
2: She may have been flying the helicopter. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I think it would have been cool if Zeus had had his own helicopter. Like you have one helicopter show up and like five people get out and then another one shows up and it's just him on it.
2: And it's black and silver with a big oh, Z on it. Hell yeah. As opposed to the one that looked like it was the one that delivers sofas and buckaroo bonsai. Pretty much. <laughs> this actually happens. I think before Randy is accosted the, uh, the charity event, because it's the Randy thing that kind of pushes him over the top.
1: Yeah, oh, I was going to say, I think that I think the the setting for the challenge is what makes it so good. You know, he comes in, he he swoops in on the helicopter. Everyone's like in awe and amazed, like Ryan was saying. And then he comes out and challenges the champion in front of all these adoring fans. Like, how could you say no to that? Right, it's impossible.
2: And But the, there is one, you know, we, the legalities of all this. I mean, who is – how can you challenge – you don't even work for the company, the World Wrestling Federation. He's challenging for that title. Uh, I, I want to know what Jack Tunney thought about all of this.
0: Well, yeah, then you also have uh, um, Kurt Fuller there, and he says, you know, doesn't accept the challenge that he forfeits,
1: and the new champion is – Zeus and that's I don't think again that's not at all how that works. It, you know, it's funny cuz I was under the impression that the f- in the final fight of the movie it's not for Rip's title but it's for Zeus's title as like battle of the tough guy champion tough or whatever. Tough
2: guy yeah cuz he doesn't ha- Zeus doesn't have a like a championship belt. He has a cool Zeus belt. Yeah. That's just part of his attire.
1: Maybe it's just like a a spoken thing like oh there's the champion. Maybe we need to go back into the pro wrestling
0: illustrates from 1989 and, and see if there's any kind of judgments made on this. Yeah. Some of your uncle Dave, get uncle Dave on the podcast.
2: <laughs> I, I'll see if he's available. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he would uh, chime in on this important uh, piece of business and, or maybe Jim Cornette. He's a historian, but I bet you he'd hate talking about no holds. We
1: should get him and Dave Meltzer both on. <laughs> That would see our numbers go up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think so. In the amount of curse words, and then just talk about poop the entire time. Get one here, and then just.
2: <laughs> what What are your takes on Dookie, gentlemen? <laughs> all right, um, so you you talked about it. It's the big final battle uh, between Zeus and Rip. They it's all it's done at a, at the T, the WTN TV studio because, I mean, it, and this really makes you think this is a this was a a Ted Turner wannabe Uh, it kind of prophetic that here you have this big fight that everybody wants and you, and you hold it in front of like 150 people.
0: Yeah. I thought about that. And the only thing I could come up with was he wanted the home court advantage because he had all these things in place and sketchiness and took it off the air. if Things weren't going to go his way. So I guess like that's the, the logic I've written my mind is why he did it that way was just to have the home court advantage.
1: What if there had been a line where he, someone said, well, why, "Why isn't why isn't the crowd bigger?" And he said, "Don't worry, all of these ticket prices were ten times higher, or something like that."
0: I'll give him credit though; he does have the valets out front with the spotlights and all the the fancy yeah. people that are getting out. So that that kind of sold it as like a, a very exclusive. You know, right. only the rich people were there. Everybody in the crowd had like tuxedos and stuff on, which kind of sold it.
2: And that's something you know, kind of a theme we would see going forward in a lot of these action movies. Something like Lionheart, yeah, had a, had a similar setup where it was the the rich and powerful who were watching these underground fights. This was obviously a more mainstream. This was a, a televised thing, but it kind it of fist of iron, time, fist of iron, right. Yeah, Fist of Iron, another one which we we discussed on episode three with the star of Fist of Iron, Michael Worth himself. So check that out in the archives. Oh yeah,
0: if the eighties if the eighties tell us anything, it's that rich people are just as bloodthirsty as the poor,
2: maybe more so.
0: Maybe more so because they can make money off of it, which poor people can't. Although well, that didn't stop everybody in Running Man from just throwing money at the right. at the uh, betters in in the most illogical
1: betting scene I've ever seen. I'm pretty bloodthirsty, guys. Are you rich or poor? I'm probably somewhere down the middle.
2: So everybody. Basically what we're proving here is everybody's blood.
1: <laughs> everybody's blood. Humanity is sick and twisted. I'm like one bad day at work from being poor. So <laughs> we're killing each other over toilet paper out there, folks. <laughs> That's right.
2: So the big final battle and you know things go off the rails pretty quickly. Uh the uh big Sam abduction <laughs> And this is my yeah, favorite Randy. A very,
0: a very well executed plan.
1: <laughs> the very, 11.
0: Yeah, yeah. There had a lot of a lot of uh pieces in this plan.
2: <laughs> but yeah, you got Randy who is in a wheelchair and a neck brace at this point, and all this is going on behind him, and he's just this is his him at his <laughs> most useless. Just well, what, what's going on back there? And, uh, yeah, I, I could see where, where where you have a problem with him, Chad.
1: Yeah, that, and this is the main reason why when I get into an elevator, I go straight to the back. I get my back again in the corner. And you then know, you one, <laughs> I can I can let them rip. Two, if my if the elevator stops and I'm in a crowded elevator, now I have room to lean. I don't have to stand straight up like an idiot. I can lean and save some energy. Three, no one's pushing me out of that elevator <laughs> like some doofus.
0: There you go. More more tips you're picking up on this podcast, again, than than you probably ever thought you were going to get.
2: Yeah, you thought you were just going to listen to No Holds. Oh, a couple guys talk about No Holds
1: Bar. You got yeah. urinal etiquette. You got elevator etiquette. Yep. Someone needs to be taking notes. That's all I'm saying. That's right.
2: And so the entire ring, again, and this is a fancy octagon ring, not like the one in the uh, the bar, uh, but it's not that fancy because it, it just gets ripped apart.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the, you know, he doesn't have a ton of experience like the WWF would have had at the time in what it takes to build a stable ring. Uh, the ropes were ridiculously loose. Uh, you couldn't really even bounce off of them. And apparently um, the ring posts were made of uh, very thin metal because, yeah, he rips one. He a shell.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know. That's probably the reason why we didn't see Zeus do any springboards.
2: <laughs> yeah, that would be the reason. I think so.
1: And his depth perception and... uh yeah. His vision's gotta be jacked up. <laughs> I don't know, he can see it coming and going. <laughs> That's true.
2: <laughs> he did have the eye of the madness, as the Mach <laughs> Man would point out it's right. later that summer.
1: Yeah. He can see every pore on his nose. <laughs> <Okay>. Hopefully Tony <laughs> is not listening to this.
2: <laughs> if he is, I'll gladly give him Chad's address. Ah <laughs> so we get And lo and behold, at the end of it all, Sam gets away from her, her captors, Rip wins, everything is good. As you said, Zeus, dead and buried, he's, he's not going to be useful to
0: anything anymore. Literally buried in the rain. <laughs>
2: and, uh, we have our, our happy ending, as one would assume you would have in a, an 80s action movie.
1: Let's quickly talk about her escape plan. Okay. Please. Uh, her- like he called a plan. Everything kind of just happens in front of her. <laughs> she, she is a, a super spy double agent. So when it comes to escaping from a situation like this, I mean, I don't know how long it took her to come up with a plan, but quietly sneaking out. <laughs> that's like the, the keep it simple, stupid.
0: Isn't there a shot too where the security guard jumps up and down and like his key he drops his keys but then she doesn't pick them up and it never became anything anything part of the plan that the keys
1: were dropped? She did push his chair in.
2: Oh, yeah, maybe that was another deleted scene.
1: There's got to be a deleted scene there where where she like stabs somebody or something. (laughs) Or maybe she I don't think she was handcuffed or anything because my thought was like cuff keys but I
0: don't think she was ever handcuffed. She just
1: so maybe maybe there's a deleted scene where she picks up the keys throws them somewhere creates a diversion and then scoots out the door perhaps maybe instead of just quietly walking out the door because my guess is you know people were nice they were dressed nicely for this event she probably had heels on it's hard to sneak around in heels trust me i know and <laughs> uh and i think that maybe there's got to be more to it in another scene that that was removed from the film for pacing
2: I think there's more to what you just said, but I don't know if I want to get into it.
1: I don't know what you're talking about, Brain.
2: All right, well, that is no holds barred. Any final thoughts that anybody has on this cult classic of a film from 1989?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Kurt Fuller's character there and very early on in the movie uh, mentions that contracts are nothing but words. I would I would advise everyone listening to this, that is a very bad business strategy. Um, contracts are... Uh, very important, and breaking them it can be very costly. They're legally binding once you sign
1: I will say that the, the final fight between the two of them, um, it really reminded me of Lucha Underground. Um, if anyone's watched, uh, I don't know how many seasons of that show there were, but uh, a lot of the, the matches, a lot of the fights went into the crowd. They went up into the stands. They had guys getting thrown through windows and through walls and stuff like that. And it really reminded me of like a theatrical version, and probably a less violent version of Lucha Underground. It's pretty cool stuff.
0: A little bit, a little bit of early ECW, a little bit of Lucha Underground.
1: Yeah, the, I'd say the final fight was probably less dirty and grimy than ECW. Definitely, yeah. But the Stan Hansen bar definitely ECW.
2: That could have yeah. That could have easily been an ECW venue.
1: How did um, not get Sandman for that?
2: Sand yeah. Could you see Sandman getting his head? dumped in the trough by new Jack.
0: <laughs> if, the movie, if the movie would have been made maybe what, maybe five, six years later then yeah. they probably would have done that. Cause Vince had like that early kind of relationship with ECW.
2: All right. Well that is no holds barred. And right now we're going to talk about wrestlers who never made it to the action movie world that, but probably should have and definitely could have because there's been a ton of wrestlers who have obviously made that jump not just Hulk Hogan and Jesse Ventura which we've covered let's talk about guys who never got their shot at the action movie game and I'm going to start it off talking about Sergeant Slaughter here is the first ever live action actual human being G.I. Joe and he was not in either of the G.I. Joe movies that that's just mind-boggling
0: Especially that first one, which was kind of over the top, corny, and like full of, you know, tongue in cheek kind of references and stuff. How they didn't slip him in there, um, really, or also in the second one, as being like, you know, they're on the run and they have the old retired Joes, like Bruce Willis's character that kind of helped them. He could have slipped into somewhere there. I, it, Yeah, it, it's baffling that they didn't find a way to squeeze him in. Was he like maybe having health problems around that time or something? Because I have to imagine that they're at least thought of it.
1: It that's very possible. He, he looks pretty decent still. I mean, if you think, I mean, he didn't look that great in 91, but uh, like he's not bad. I think he's still moving around pretty well, but yeah, it seemed like it would have been an easy way to get Joe fans on board a little bit more. Um You're already like, kind of, you know, you're, it was a real turd, that movie. And <laughs> you, when you watch it and you see that the actors involved and the costumes that they use, I mean, you got to find a way to kind of give a little bit something to the Joe fans. And, and that would have been an easy way to do it.
2: Right. And they even had like a little scene where there was like a guy, like a drill instructor type guy who was played by Brendan Frazier of all people, mm-hmm. basically. Cause I believe he's friends with the director from the, yeah, third, the mummy. Is mummy mummy that
1: Steven Soderbergh or whatever?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that, that would have been the perfect place to just plug him in. He'd been in the on screen for, you know, 32 seconds, and that would be 32 seconds that people would love. Pop up, say
1: oh, maggot,
0: yeah. and then walk off. That's all you need.
2: And right.
1: Nothing screams tough guy like Brendan Fraser.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. And if you want to know 20 reasons why uh, that first G.I. Joe movie sucks, that is also available on bulletproofaction.com. Indeed. The, the, one of uh, Chad Cruz's masterpieces. <laughs>
1: used loosely, rather loosely term, yeah.
2: hmm. Uh, Chad, do you have a, a suggestion for a wrestler who never made it that should have in the action world?
1: I do. And I and um this guy, he I don't think he would fit in well as a hero, but I think as a villain. And when I think of him as a villain, I think of him as the brawn in um in an action film where he could just kind of beat the crap out of people or squeeze them to death or or breaks and bones. But my guy is a psycho Sid. Yes. Sid, Sid vicious, Sid justice. However, you remember the guy he had, a, I mean, he had an amazing look. He was tall as hell and, and all beefed out and muscled out. And just the look in his eyes. I mean, you could, I could easily see him uh, playing some psycho killer, you know, like a lackey, a henchman for, for the brain of the operation and just, you know, killing people left and right until he, he finally meets up with Van Damme at the end and gets his ass kicked.
2: Oh, so it's Van Damme specifically we're putting him in there with.
1: Hey, maybe maybe Van Damme. Maybe you know who else? Dolph Lundgren.
2: Oh, let's mention Dolph. Yep. Yeah, Sid would be great. Uh, I mean, as long as they weren't filming during softball season, he would have been awesome.
1: <laughs> you know, right? <sighs> just don't have him jump off the, like, uh, four feet off the yeah. ground. Because that may not work out well for him. May need a stunt double to jump.
2: Ryan Campbell, who do, who you got?
1: Well, I got a few here.
0: Uh, I think top of my list, that one that I think could have been a good guy or a bad guy, had the look, had charisma, could make the ladies, you know, bring the lady crowd in would have been Rick Rude. Uh, I think he would have been a good one. Um, I got a few others here. Mr. Perfect, I think in a similar way, would have been good. If, you know, if there's a way like it is now where WWE has their own studio and are making their own movies, if, if we're thinking of it even that way, Mr. Perfect seems like someone they probably would have plugged into a field. Right,
2: he would have been, been perfect, if you will, uh, oh. especially when he was you know injured and really couldn't uh, wrestle anymore. You know, they still could have got some mileage out of him in both. You know, they they used him as a, a manager. They used him as an announcer. But yeah, that would have been a perfect type thing for him to do where he would go off for a few months and, and make some movies for him.
1: Yeah. A pocket full of painkillers and maybe hand him a script with a few words on it. Why not use him? Definitely. Yeah. Um, another one I
0: have that is more of like a, I picture like a young rookie cop. That's, that's just, you know, way too into it and way in over his head, uh, would have been dynamite kid. I think he would have fit into a role like that or really both British bulldogs could have been a buddy cop movie.
2: Uh let me let me interject. Uh, you know, I like the bulldog idea, but I almost see them as villains. Like two guys who are actually like kind of deceptive. Like they their boss guy is like bigger than them and there're these two guys and you don't think much of them, but then he unleashes them on you and they like destroy you. Like yeah, which rabid dogs if you will. There you go. Yeah. Which hair
1: style Davy Boy are we using because this Harry had in the early '90s. <laughs>
2: Just he couldn't have his Whoopi Goldberg hair. No, no please, no,
0: definitely, I'm definitely thinking before that.
1: Yeah, okay, thank you.
0: But yeah, lastly, and I don't know if this would necessarily be an action movie, although he could have played a villain, but certainly more comedy is brains. Brains uh, number one guy, Bobby Heenan. Oh, oh
1: yeah.
2: Oh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, the best utility player in professional wrestling history. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, he could play. He could play like that informant type character for a cop. Like, oh, you know, he's kind of seedy, but, you know, he, you get his humor in there. He could be, you know, kind of like that Joe Pesci character from from the Leaf of Weapon movies. Yeah. Where, you know, he's obviously done some bad things, but, you know, he's not like pure evil. He's just, you know, likes to take shortcuts.
1: You know, I, I've got one more that I'd like to throw out there quickly. And it's, it's less, it's definitely not a leading role. Uh, as as either a hero or a villain but uh, i i'm kind of surprised that tatanka isn't getting some roles in like yeah you know, there's not a lot of native native guys out there doing doing films and movies and they're going to keep pumping out shit about Tecumseh till the end of time so <laughs> why not go out there and make a few bucks that's all i'm saying i wonder if he knows about
2: yeah, just some producer gives him a call says hey how are you and gets the ball rolling.
0: <laughs> Perfect. I mean, there are, it is just crazy to think of how many guys if would have been had the opportunity. And I mean, they all would have said that wrestling was their number one love and what they but just having the the opportunity to do other things like you know Bobby Heenan again, if he could have had a podcast like now every manager or anybody who ever worked in the industry has a podcast. What a what a Bobby the Brain Heenan podcast would have been like. It's just some of these guys would have had the opportunity to flex some of their creative muscle in other ways. What we what we could have
1: gotten? Yeah, there's so many worthless podcasts out there, guys.
2: Not like this one. No,
1: not uh, exactly this one.
0: <laughs> we have great life advice, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, this one's got a lot to it, and, and I'm glad you brought up Tatanka because that reminds me of one of Tatanka's greatest rivals, Rick the Model Martell.
0: Absolutely. It,
2: there's a guy who would have been perfect in a, a spy, James Bond-type film.
0: Didn't he do some work for a film studio?
2: <laughs> I think he may have his own. But uh, what a sophisticated, evil villain he would with that accent. I mean, he was tailor-made to be a, a villain in the 80s and 90s for sure. Uh, the model Rick Martel. Yeah, and, you he's photogenic, too.
1: Absolutely. You said his greatest rivals. I thought you were going to just say uh, alcohol. <laughs> Alcohol has been in lots of movies. We don't have to worry about that.
2: And blankets with smallpox. All right. <laughs> All right. So I think we've, we've covered uh, No Holds Barred. We've covered some of our favorite wrestlers we would have liked to have seen in action movies, uh, but never happened. And next time, Chad Cruz, we're going to be covering uh, hip hop performers who jumped and made the uh, transition to action movies, which there's a that's a long list.
1: Yeah, there's there's probably too many to be honest with you, um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna count down some some of our favorites, some of our least favorites. Maybe we'll drop some bars on you guys. Who knows? Oh. Who, no- who knows what might happen?
0: I can't wait. Uh,
1: I have to look at my schedule and see
0: if I'm on for that podcast. In case I am not, LL Cool J and Deep Blue C. I'll give you that. I'll just yeah. give you that out there. It's That's
1: got to happen, obviously.
2: And I cannot wait. Uh, Chad Cruz to have an opportunity to talk about his good friend Mark Wahlberg. Uh, oh, should, Christ. That should be worth the price of admission, which, of course, is free. Uh, free for all. Everybody, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean. We're everywhere. Stitcher, wherever you want to catch us, wherever you get your favorite podcast, that's where we're at. So spread the word. Let your friends know about the Bulletproof Podcast. Again, Bulletproof Pod on Twitter, Bulletproof Action on Instagram and Facebook. And if everybody's good, I think it's we're about out of time. So, for Chad Cruz and Ryan Campbell, I am Chris Rain. Stay tuned for more of the Bulletproof Podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.